All right, you go ahead and find your seats. Find a seat, find your seat. Well, good morning, guys. Hi, Top Gun. Hi, Aiden. <laughs> I'm just soaking in. It's I, every once in a while I try to peek like over my shoulder from the front row, trying to say like, okay, who's here? Who made it today? So it's so, so good to see. You. If it's a lot of new faces too, uh, so if uh, if we haven't met yet, feel free to come by. You know, stop us on your on your way out, and so we can say hi and answer any questions you have or or any uh, complaints you have. Uh, <laughs> a couple of things uh, to uh, further what Natalie talked about. The fishing trip for the guys, just so you have color lines a little bit. Um, it's not going to be like a like we are, we're gone for a few days kind of thing. We're thinking like a half day or a full day out of like Davy's Locker in, out, of, out of Dana, you know, so like deep sea fishing. Essentially where they go, hey, we know fish are here. Drop your line. All right, so you don't have to be some master angler. Like they give you the all the equipment you just go out there they bait your hook for you it's it's like it's a, it's like bumper bowling for fishing all right essentially what it what it is so if you're interested in that uh you know just email us and we're we've been talking about it as a bunch of guys and so we're like might as well just uh get it on the calendar and see who wants to go uh also with child dedication want to color in lines there too uh so like Nally said the meeting is next week child dedication is in two weeks september 5th i can't believe we're already approaching september it's you remember you remember last year and before time uh, before all this the world shut down and we're like oh man th- like I'll never forget when New York schools canceled the rest of the school year remember that you're like you're canceling the rest of the school year you think it's gonna last that long here we are a year and a half later anyway so uh, September fifth we're doing child dedication let me let me ex- describe what that is so. Some of you guys may have grown up in a church tradition where you did uh, infant baptism, right? We don't practice that as a church. Uh, I, I was baptized as a child, as an infant. It wasn't my decision. I had no, I wasn't part of the decision-making process at all. It was more of a thing we did in the church that we went to. What we see in the Bible is this sense of, I made a decision to follow Jesus, so I'm deciding to draw a line in the sand, a sand and be baptized. And Paul talks about, that baptism is symbolic of dying with Christ when you go underwater and being resurrected into new life. So that's, that's baptism. So we don't believe that like an infant can make that decision, right? Uh, they're surprised by their own hands so that we don't think that they can be, they're aware enough to uh, be baptized. So we do child dedication. Child dedication is a two-part commitment on the part of the parents saying that we commit to the best of our ability to raise this child in God's way. But it's also a commitment for us as a church body to say, we're going to help you too. We commit to praying for you, supporting you in any way uh, that you need help because it takes a village to raise a child now more uh, than ever. So that's child dedication. So if you want to be a part of that, maybe you're, you know, you have a quarantine baby or maybe your, your child is now a couple years old because we haven't had child dedication since be, the before time and you want to be a part of that. Uh, there's a few families already signed up. We'd love for you to be a part of it uh, too. All right. Hey, we're going to dive in uh, to uh, the teaching today. Actually, yeah, we'll explain it later. Okay. So growing up, how many of you guys played Nintendo like growing up? Like the old school OG Nintendo. I remember I had a friend named Steve. Uh, a Korean guy who, who he lived on the other side of the neighborhood I grew up in, and he's 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 a character. All right, all right. He had a perm. You ever seen anything hilarious? Is the '80s uh, of a Korean kid with hair down to here with a perm? It was just it wasn't good. 
Uh, but one of the things was his parents didn't spend a whole lot of time with him, but they made a good amount of money. And so they showed their love by buying things, which as his friends, we weren't too sad about. I'm sure he has some stuff he needed to unpack later. But for us, his friends were like, Steve always has the coolest thing. And he got the NES when it first came out. Before GameCube, 64, the Wii, whatever Nintendo has, it was the OG NES, right? Nintendo Entertainment System. And it, the first batch came out with like the duck hunting gun. You guys remember that? I mean, it's old enough uh, before it was retro when it was brand new. And then the first batch actually had like a robot that would do things as you played on the game, would move cubes around. And you, you, you had to buy like the premium package, which Steve's parents were more than happy uh, to buy him. And those were cool. But I remember the game that kind of set it off for me was the game Tetris. I loved Tetris. Uh, it started out, you guys ever like play Tetris? Okay, dude, it starts out like slow, right? And it's like going so slow that you are like spinning the uh, pieces to the right, spinning them to the left, you're playing around. You almost like you press the down pad because it's going too slow for you at first, you know what I mean? And then it starts to speed up. And then the music starts to speed up. You're having like conversations with your friend you're playing with when it, when it first starts. And then as it, as it speeds up, it gets more complex. And all of a sudden, you don't want to talk to anybody because you're just trying to keep it together, right? If your parents come in and try to talk to you while it's like they feel like they're just dropping, you know you're one move away. And sometimes you, like, you get the move and you're like, I put that one piece in. It was one like section over than what it should have been. So it kind of blocked up. You're like, I can salvage this. Another piece, no, and then they start to stack up, and then you're done, right? So as, as it starts to go faster and faster and faster, and you see, like, the next piece that's going to come, everything inside of you wants to, like, pause, right? Because you want to strategize, no, 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 I don't have time to think about, but I know if I, have to, if I could just think for a second, I could find a place for that piece to go, right? So inevitably, if you guys are normal, you try to press the pause button. But what happens when you press pause on Tetris, the screen goes blank. You know this, right? Why? Because they know it'd be an unfair advantage for you to be able to pause. They know that if you could just pause for a second, you would make better decisions, right? But they don't want you to do that. They know that if they can just keep the pace going, you're eventually going to make some bad decisions, if you live in that chaos and that, and that complexity long enough, you will fail. And so you inevitably fail, hopefully with a higher score than the person you're competing against, right? Listening to some Russian two-bit music, right? So you breathe, and then you start again slow. This is what we're talking about today, not Tetris. We're talking about how life can get that way. It gets complex. It gets chaotic, Right? It, goes, it quickly goes into chaos and complexity. Right? So maybe you're, you're on vacation or if you're like us, you take staycation this year because, you know, pandemic stuff. And so you got your cold drink, whatever your beverage of choice is, and you're watching the sunset on vacation. And who knows where the kids are at? Who cares at this point? They're fine probably. Right? You're just, you, you need some me time. Right? And then after vacation, you go back to work and you turn on the email and you, they start to pile in. Right? You're wondering when it's going to stop, how many hundreds of emails you're going to have. And, you know, all these emails, some are like Old Navy specials, but some of them are actually to-dos, right? 
And then you go to your first meeting. And the thing I hate most about meetings, two things. One is it takes away time from actually getting to-dos done. But I also know that after the meeting, I'll have more to-dos, right, on top of that. So you go to meetings or more to-dos. The kids need rides if you have kids. I feel like Nally and I are glorified Uber drivers right now. I can't wait till they can figure out like a safe way to do like Uber kids. I'll sign up for that. Cart them around, you know, pay, just tell me what, what I need to pay you. But you quickly get to a place where you feel like you're failing everywhere, right? Because you have work stuff, you have home stuff, you have errands you have to run, projects you're doing, things around the house. Everywhere you look around the house is another thing you have to get done. And I should wash the car too, and I should work out, and I should eat better, and I should probably should get different clothes, and I should drop this off, off at Goodwill, and all the stuff that you got to do when you get to a point where you feel like you're failing everywhere. Now, your Instagram may not show it, and people around you may not show it, but you begin to feel like, I'm not winning at work. I'm not winning at home. My fitness, my health, my finances, I don't know if I'm winning at any of these. Oh, and also, there's like this whole spiritual life too, right? I should be praying. You see these people that go, I pray for an hour a day and I pray for, an, and I read my Bible for an hour a day and I break down the Greek and Hebrew every day. And you're like, well, I, I can't even get my laundry folded. You know, when am I going to do all of this? And then you look in the mirror and you think, wow, that person looks tired. Who is that person? And that's just the first day back from vacation. So when life gets more and more complex, the more chaotic it gets, the more likely you are to make bad decisions. Just like in Tetris. The faster it goes, the more chaotic, the more complex it goes, the more tired you get from trying to hold it together, the more likely you are to make bad decisions. You make bad decisions financially, buying stuff you probably shouldn't buy, that if you had more energy, you wouldn't have bought. You make bad decisions with things you consume, you shouldn't have eat, eaten or drink, drink that thing or that much of that thing. But hey, I'm tired. You make bad decisions, maybe what you watch on screens, things are not good for you, things aren't healthy, things you normally wouldn't watch. Make bad decisions relationally, maybe you get angry or short-tempered or you spend too much time with that person at the office that you shouldn't, but you get energy from them. You make bad decisions when you're tired. You make bad decisions when things get complex. And it's easy to have a full schedule and an empty soul. Easy to have a full schedule and an empty heart, right? So what do we do? What do we do? I'll never forget when I went to, uh, one of the things we used to do growing up, we used to go to Six Flags. And uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I think, I don't know. But one of the things, it was the only IMAX theater around where we grew up. And IMAX back then was like the thing. You know I mean? This is back when you had like a 19-inch TV and it was a big screen at home. You know what I mean? So to go to an IMAX was like crazy town. And I remember they had this one summer, they had this um, movie, for lack of better words, like this 18-minute thing uh, called Speed. And it was about, not, not about the drugs, but it was about uh, like man's desire to go faster and faster and faster, right? And I'll never forget the one part, it, it talked about when we broke, we, I mean, I wasn't there, but mankind, when we as a human race broke the sound barrier, Right? And when you break the sound envelope, you have the sonic boom, right? like guile, sonic boom. right? And what happened was the first planes that broke the sound barrier disintegrated. They blew apart. Why? Because they weren't designed to go that fast. 
So you'd have like these planes go and you hear the sonic boom and you see like the almost like the cloud popping in the sky in front of this for the sound envelope. And then this like pilot pops out with a parachute because the plane just blew up. And we're the same way. We become we begin to disintegrate when we go at a faster pace than we're designed to go. Disintegration literally means you disintegrate. You stop being integrated and you feel it, right? When, start, when things get faster and faster, it doesn't necessarily mean a busy schedule. Sometimes even during quarantine, the stress and the anxiety and the constant keeping ourselves busy, watching things on TV. I think all of our screen time went up every week. We give it, if you're Apple people, like you get notification, like your screen time went up 53% last week. Like I know there was nothing else to do. All right, get off my case, right? But you keep so busy that we begin to see this disintegration of our soul. The seams are starting to show. We feel it. Things that were important before, less important now. And you can't put your finger on why, but you can feel it. Things that used to be black and white begin to slide into gray. And again, people around you may not notice it, but you know. You know there was something shifting in your soul. There's a disintegration happening in your soul. Habits that you know are unhealthy begin to solidify. Things that you're like, I will never begin to be a one time, a few times, then new habits. Like we talked before, man, you make your habits, then your habits make you. And these habits are creating something in you. And you, the crazy thing is you, you know you should care, but you don't. You ever get to that point? You see this stuff happening in your soul and you're like, I know I should care. The Bible says I should care. I would tell someone else that they should care, but I don't. It's almost like that phrase, drink responsibly, that's on the bottom of like every alcoholic beverage, right? The problem with the phrase, I'll drink responsibly, is the very moment when you need to start drinking responsibly is the very moment you don't care anymore, <laughs> right? That's the problem. It's the same thing with pressing pause on your life to, to rest, what we're going to talk about, take a Sabbath or a sabbatical. The, the very moment that you need to press pause on your life is the very moment you're too tired to press pause on your life. The momentum is set. The, the sails are set. And so you just pick your feet up and you go with the current. So, like Tetris, you will eventually stop. One of two ways, typically. Either you will get more and more chaotic, these bad habits will begin to pile up, and you'll make enough bad decisions where you'll be forced to stop because of bad decisions financially or with your health or with relationships or with your moral or ethical issues, that you'll be forced to stop. Or what I would propose is you systematically, habitually press pause yourself. So one of the problems is most of us don't desire to be better. We desire to be bigger. That's a big problem. And we feel it here. It's not just an Orange County thing, but I think it's particularly so in Orange County. We don't desire to be better. We desire to be bigger. So we, we, we have this desire in us to have more things, to have more influence, to have more popularity, to have more success, to do more, to be bigger. But see, God wants us to not pray, God, make me bigger. God wants us to pray, make me better. Help me be more patient. Help me be more kind. Help me be more humble. Help me be more generous. 
We get caught up in the doing part, right? And we miss the whole being part. In, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about there's an evidence of the, the Spirit of God moving in your life. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is simply this is the proof that the Spirit of God is working in your life. And it's things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You might have seen the coffee cup. Like it's, 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 a, it's a verse that's, you know, shared pretty often. This is the evidence that God is moving in someone's life. You notice it has nothing to do with, either, with your financial status. It has nothing to do with your six-pack status. It has nothing to do with whether your business is, go, is going up and to the right. It has nothing to do with how big your organization is or how big your house is or what side of town you live in. It has nothing to do with that. Is all to do with the kind of person that you are. So we're going to talk about the rhythm of Sabbath. And I know some of us have heard sermons about Sabbath or teachings on Sabbath, but I want to give you some handles, some practicals on how to actually, what does a Sabbath look like? Is it just sleeping in all day and eating Cheetos? Like what does a Sabbath actually look like? And there's five kind of elements that I do in my, for my Sabbath or the longer version of a sabbatical. Sabbatical is just a long Sabbath, essentially. Sometimes sabbatical can have a kind of a bad connotation depending on your church culture, or organizational culture. Sabbatical can mean oh, you messed up, so it's like we caught you smoking outside the back of the building, so you need to take a sabbatical, a break. The sabbatical is meant to be a healthy thing. It should be a regular part of your rhythm. But I know when I say that we're going to talk about Sabbath, there's some of us, some of you guys are like go-getters. You're like rise and grind. You got the hustle hat, right? You're like, you are, you are this kind of person. You hate talks about like, you know, you know, you, you, see, you see talks like this, like, oh, let's just circle up, hold hands, and sing kumbaya. It feels lazy, right? But the problem is if you don't, if you don't take time to rest and you only live in the rise and grind hustle kind of mentality, you'll end up living in chaos and complexity. And you'll end up getting to a place where what was applauded ends up being damaging. I mean, meaning I grew up in a culture where Always be reading, always be learning, always be achieving, always have a podcast on or a teaching or work out or just achieve success. 1% better, 1% better, 1% better. But the problem is you never take time to rest. There's not a, that's not bad. But the problem is you get to a place where there's no times of rest. There's no times of reflection. And then you get to a place where you don't actually get time to process what's really going on in your heart. And if you go that way long enough, you'll get to a place where you're actually afraid of the silence. You're actually afraid of those moments where there's no podcast, no TV show, no workout, there's nothing going on. Because you're afraid of what you'll learn about yourself in the silence. You're afraid that the voices of insecurity, the imposter syndrome, your fears will creep up and you'll have to deal with them. See, you can do that for a while, but it'll catch up with you. And if you live in this chaos and complexity, you'll get to a place inevitably where you shut God out from working in your heart. And this can happen for us as Christians. You're so busy doing good things that you'll wake up one day like, like Samson and go, man, the Spirit of God left me at some point. I don't know when. But it's empty in here. 
I'm an employee of God, but I'm not a child of God. And you, you go back to where you used to worship and you used to journal, and there was like this intimate relationship with you and God, and that's gone. You're just a shell. You know how to do the right things, and you know how to say the right things. You're productive, but it's like the Spirit of God is gone. There's a better way. And I want to show you a path back to what it used to be, what it can be. And can I be honest, though? There are some of you guys that are on the other side of the spectrum, right? That you're lazy. Can I just say that? You, you are. And you don't live in chaos and complexity like the first group. You live in comfort and complacency. You like to take the path of least resistance. You don't pray, God, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever. You say, God, what is the easiest thing for me to do? Because I want to do that. So you like the verses that are like, sit with God. He's closer than a brother. And don't really like like the go and make disciples, like take up your cross and follow me kind of verses because those mean pain, right? And where the first group, the, the chaos and complexity group can shut God out of working in their heart, you can shut God out of working through you. Because a lot of times we want to like, I want to follow my dreams. A lot of times following dreams looks like hard work. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like showing up early and being the last one to leave. When I, when I was thinking about what is this person like, I think about like the, the, the 35-year-old living in their parents' basement playing video games and their mom makes them a sandwich. Like they enjoy the blessings of the house. They enjoy the blessings of the relationship but they don't actually want to do anything. There's so many Christians. When you look at the stats of what percentage of churchgoers give, what percent of churchgoers serve, it's staggeringly low. And if you find yourself here, I have so many friends that live in this camp. I know a lot of pastors that live in this camp, that they're lazy, like they're kind of here. They don't like it as much as anybody else. There's a better way for you too. And we're going to talk about that. See, neither one of these is what God wants. Neither chaos and complexity or comfort and complacency. We're like bumper bowling trying to split the middle of us, right? I've learned a lot over the past few weeks of this sabbatical. I want us to talk about three of the five things. Uh, we're going to breeze right through this. We're going to talk about the, a couple of really important things next week. Uh, but it's, we'll put the slide up. There's five elements that I use in my Sabbath or sabbatical, my weekly Sabbath or my you know, yearly sabbatical. Rest, recharge, recognize, realign, and re-engage. It's, it's, it's true because they all start with R. So we're going to hit rest, recharge, and recognize as a way to get into here. You can do whatever you want on your Sabbath. This will just give you like some framework to go, oh, I've never seen someone approach it that way. So hopefully it'll be helpful. If you even only take a portion of what we're talking about today and apply it to your life, I hope it's helpful. So the first one is rest. Rest. So in order to practice Sabbath, we need to rest, obviously. Like you can't practice Sabbath while you're working. So this is obviously the first one. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a music guy. I can't really do music, but I love music. All kinds of music except for country, okay? Except for a couple country songs are pretty good. I think like Chris Stapleton's probably the closest thing I get to country. Uh, but, so, but one of the reasons why, regardless of whether you like EDM or screamo music or whatever, uh, it's all music. Uh, but if you enjoy music, it's probably because the rests. If, if music didn't have rest in it, with the instrumentation, with the 
uh, whether real or fake instruments or the vocalist, if there wasn't rest, it would just be noise. And I don't know, sometimes if we get too fast, our lives just feel like noise. You ever, you ever do that where you, it's like Friday again and you're thankful it's Friday and, you know, and people are like, how was your week? I don't know. I know I did stuff. I know I was pretty stressed and busy the whole week, but I don't know if I actually did anything. It's just noise. So the word Sabbath actually comes from the word Shabbat. Shabbat means to cease, to stop. So Sabbath means a, a day to stop, a day to cease, a day to rest, right? Friday, sunset typically. Traditionally, Friday, sunset to Saturday at sunset, morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night. And what happened over time, man added legalistic things to it, trying to make it formulaic, which we always do. So if you go to uh, like Israel today, you'll have uh, elevators on Sabbath that are automatic. So you don't have to push a button because that'd be breaking the Sabbath. You'll have coffee that's made on Friday at, before sunset and then just sat on a warmer because there's nothing like 24-hour-old warmed-up coffee, right? Just really hits the spot. Uh, there's no like hot breakfast on a Saturday morning uh, in Israel because that'd be doing work, right? And we can get to a point where we like, we're so focused on keeping the rules that we miss the whole point, right? Jesus said that man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. And sometimes we follow rules so close that we miss the whole point of the thing. It's almost like if, if I got Natalie flowers for, I don't know, like we celebrated our anniversary recently. If I was like, hey, I got you flowers. She's like, oh, thank you. Why'd you get this for me? I feel like I had to. You know, it's August 20th. I got to do this. I got to take, I got to get you flowers and I got to take you a nice place to eat. So here we go. <laughs> if I don't, I'll get in trouble. Really romantic stuff, right? You missed the whole point of it. In the same way, you can religiously keep Sabbath and consistently miss the point. Sabbath wasn't meant to be a rule to follow. It was meant to be a freedom to enjoy to add value to your life. And actually at the time, no other Eastern civilizations practiced the day off. It's like Rome practiced an eight-day week and it would just cycle. You'd work every day. And it was easy for the Jews when God first implemented the Sabbath to go, no, 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 they're always working and we're going to take a day off every week. We're going to get behind. We're not going to be able to produce as much. We're not going to be as successful. But you know what? God provided. And if you look at any organization that went from, that is Christ-centered, maybe your own small business, went from, we never take a day off to shut the office down once a week. A lot of times, there's zero loss in revenue. It's easy to take time off when you know God is there. When you take a day off, things will be left undone, for sure. It's okay. There are, so my Sabbath, my Sabbath is Friday, now, there's times where I'll make exceptions for like, look at patentive when, you know, married patentive. Obviously, I'm not going to be like, it's my Sabbath. I'm, we just adjust. We just adjust, right? But those are super rare situations. To my Christian friends that are like, hey, can you meet on this Friday? Sorry, I can't. It's my Sabbath. That's that. That's that. To my non-Christian friends, hey, can you take this meeting or this phone call on Friday? I can't. I have a, I have a prior engagement. I can't. And you know what happens? Okay, how's Monday look? That's it. Like, there's never this like, oh, well, forget you. I'm never talking to you again. It's just like, okay, yeah, we'll adjust. In the same way, you don't expect to take your uh, car to your mechanic on Sunday. 
You don't expect the, op the optometrist to be open Saturday at 11 o'clock at night. You realize that they have boundaries, and you do too. Right? Sabbath is recognizing that you do have boundaries. So stopping once a week is a recognition that one day we're going to stop for good. Sabbath is a recognition that one day, stopping once a week is a recognition that one day we're all going to stop for good. That there's a counter, counting down our seconds, counting down our breaths on this earth. And on one day, it'll hit zero for all of us. I don't want that to be a morbid thing. You'll, you value something when you realize you have a limited supply of it. Your life is valuable because you have a limited supply of it. So don't waste it on a treadmill. And when you die, the world will keep spinning. And when you take the day off, the world will keep spinning and the business will keep going and the errands will still be ran by somebody else. And that's okay. Psalm 32, uh, you know where it says, um, or Psalm 23 where it's like, uh, uh, Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, that whole thing, right? Verse 2 and verse 3a says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Do you know what that is? David, king, conqueror, achiever. And he says, I love that. He makes me lie down. In other words, I don't want to. I got stuff to do. Right? Some of you guys would love to take naps, but you can't. Because when, when you lie down and take a nap, you're thinking, you could be washing your car. You could be doing this. You could be responding to those emails. Think about how far ahead you'd be if you just don't take a nap right now. He makes me lie down. And I want to camp on this for a second. Some of you guys, you know about Sabbath. You've heard about Sabbath. You could sit up here and teach about Sabbath. The problem is you don't take Sabbath. Because you still think this is on you. So he makes me. The first step of Sabbath is rest, stopping. The big question here is a simple one. I don't want to like, you know, hurt your intelligence, but I want to be honest with this. The question I want us to consider with this first section is, when is your Sabbath? Really? When is your Sabbath? Like, really? I know you're in, you're in a busy season right now. That's been years long. We're just in a season. Once I get out of this season, when are you going to take Sabbath? When is your weekly Sabbath? Secondly, so first, rest. Second, recharge. Recharge. Part of Sabbath is about recharging your batteries. Sabbath is not a, uh, I don't look at it as a uh, well done for the last week. Sabbath is, is a recharging for the upcoming week. Like, you know, like working was not a product of the fall. Adam and Eve have jobs to do, responsibilities, before the fall. Sabbath is a recharging because the work you're, you're doing is important. What God has called you to do is important, so be recharged and have full energy for it. So how do you go into the upcoming week recharged? Because what you do is important. The people you're going to meet, the decisions you're going to make, they're important. So you should be at a high mental capacity to make those decisions well. Sometimes we make bad decisions because emotionally we're low because we didn't recharge on the day off. So how do you charge up? All of us get depleted when we do things that we love and all of us get depleted when we do things when we don't. And even if you have your dream job, there's portions of your dream job that are draining, right? Like, for example, for me, 
I love Sundays. The last few weeks being on sabbatical was the hardest for me on Sundays because I would watch online and I would just hope that the team would go to a wide angle shot so I could see who's there. I could just see them. Let me feel like a little like, like I'm there a little bit because I missed you guys. This is energetic for me. But I also know that this is high energy for me. I'm an introvert. So I know that when I'm here, my battery is depleting really fast. And I know that the reason why I take my Sabbath on Friday is so I'm fully charged for Sunday because I know by Sunday afternoon, I'm going to be running on fumes, right? So even if introverts, you guys will get that. Extroverts, even you guys have your limits. So I know I'll be drained. So I got to recharge. So the question for this section is, what recharges you? And it's different for everybody. So don't try to super spiritualize this and what works for you works for someone else. No, for some of you, it's hiking. For other people, you're like, hiking, that would be draining for me. For me, I love washing the car. Usually, for me, what I do, what, what's, what's life-giving to me is something active. So working out, going for a walk, something active, uh, and then good food. So like checking out that lunch spot I've been wanting to check out, Right? And sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss. But that excitement, I know after that, after, after a good meal or after washing my car and walking away, like that, that smile, I feel energized, right? You can see the rust on my car a little better now. Like you get, you get, but you get joy, right? Mowing the lawn. So for some of you guys, it's a nap. But just know your body. Sometimes you can take a nap and you feel refreshed. Sometimes you take a nap and you feel more drained and more time has passed. Okay? So just... What energizes you? Do that. Sometimes it's a sport. Sometimes it's, you know, watching a movie. I love watching movies. On my Sabbath is when I'll watch movies that I can't justify any other time. Like candy bar movies. That you're going, like, like a Michael Bay movie. You know what I mean? That you're like, oh, this is not going to be good. There's not going to be good acting. It's just going to be explosions and really bad writing. But I can't justify it any other time. I watch it on my Sabbath because it's life-giving, right? So maybe it's a movie for you. Maybe it's, it's working out. Maybe it's mowing the lawn. Maybe it's art or learning a new skill, right? Maybe you love to cook. People don't like it when you cook, but you like to cook, right? So if you like to do something and other people like it too, that's a career. If you like to do something and people really could care less whether you do it or not, that's a hobby, right? But if it's life-giving to you, do that and let it recharge you on your Sabbath. So think about it for a moment. What recharges you? Fill your Sabbath with that. So first step, rest. Second step, recharge. And the last step, recognize. Recognize. You ever get in a situation where you're like, you run into somebody and you're like, I think I know them. And they like see you and they're like, oh my gosh, it's been so long. And maybe it clicks for you in the moment. Maybe it clicks for you like after you say goodbye to them and in the car you're driving, oh, that's right. And you're like, hey, bro, so good to see you. But after a while it clicks and becomes clear and you're like, oh, I get it. This is what this stage of Sabbath is for me. It's pausing long enough to recognize Recognize all the stuff, all the blessings in my life that can get blurry because they fade to the background while I'm focusing on all the stuff I got to do throughout the week. And whatever you focus on, this is a principle of focus. Whatever you focus on, you do it to the detriment of everything else. Right? So if I were to say, hey, tell me all the stuff in, in, around here that's blue. 
You try to memorize all the blue stuff, focus on blue stuff. Then you'll naturally not see everything that's brown. You'll completely ignore all the brown stuff because your mind works. You don't want to focus on one thing at a time. So when you focus on all the work you got to get done, all the problems you got to solve, you miss all the blessings. So pausing is taking time to allow those things to come into focus and realize all the blessings that you have. So three categories with this. Recognize the good, recognize that God sends, and recognize God. Recognize the good, that God sends, and God. The good is just all the good stuff in our life, all the good stuff in your life. Second is the God sends, the people God sends in your life that adds value to your life. And then recognize God, the one who creates all and sustains all. Because if we, if, we if we aren't careful about it, we begin to think that we create it all and sustain all and control all, right? So first, the good. Do you realize that pretty much everyone in this room has the ability to have three square meals a day, right? And if you don't, please reach out. We'll make sure to help you make that happen. But our problem for a lot of us in this room, most of us, if not all of us in this room, is not that we don't, we don't have three meals. Our problem is that we have five or six meals a day, right? Like what a, my favorite meal is second dinner. It's awesome. It's my, to the point where I used to get frustrated when the kids wouldn't finish their dinner. Because like, it's like, oh, we paid money for that. You said you wanted it. We got it for you. Now I'm like, bet. Don't eat it. I'll eat it later at 10 o'clock at night. That's a win-win, right? So the problem for a lot of us is we don't have three meals. We have five or six meals. You know, all of us, not only that, we have the ability. I mean, we're so loaded, all of us, that we can actually go and say, you know what? I have this food in my fridge. It might even go bad if I do this. But I'm going to pay somebody else to cook food for me. That they're sitting in buildings all across Orange County. Because I might just stop by today, give them money so they can cook food for me. That's how rich you guys are, right? You have clothes to wear. You have transportation to go wherever you want. You have supercomputers in your pocket. You're blessed. You realize that you, if you make minimum wage, minimum wage, you make 30 times more than the, than the average around the world. 30 times more. You have things that work. Like you have things that literally, they're, they're fine. They work. But you buy newer things that work a little better to replace your things that work. Right? Because it looks cooler and it's a little bit faster. Right? See, I think it would do us so much good if we spent a little bit of time in a developing country, an area of need, even in our own backyards. I think what you'd realize is that first you'd feel sorry for them. Like, man, that's, they don't even have an iPhone 10. Gosh, that must be hard. And then after a while, you, when you start digging into their stories, you realize, you know, maybe I'm the one that's lacking. They have hope. They have joy. They, they're content. I'll never forget the time where I took a team to Ecuador and we got these soccer balls uh, to go play with, you know, the kids in the, in the in, like literally in the jungle. Um, took a dugout canoe eight hours into the heart of the jungle. And, we were so bummed because the, the soccer balls we got all had flats. Like they just, I don't know if we stored them improperly or whatever, but they all would not hold air. We're like, dang it. These kids are going to be like bummed. They weren't. These kids were having a time. You would think we, we bought them all like brand new, latest whatevers. They were so happy. And it made us go, you know what? Maybe we're the ones that are lacking. There's... I don't have time to go. We're, we're brainstorming some stuff as a church where we can take a trip and invest into some developing countries uh, and plant some churches there and sponsor kids. We'll let you know more about it when we have uh, more information, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So recognize, recognize the good. Second one, recognize the God sense. 
Recognize that God sends. So Nellie and I, we just went on sabbatical for a few weeks. And the reason why we could do it is because all the God sends. Incredible people on the worship team that held it down every week. Even last week, uh, Kath was going to lead worship as she normally does, but they came in contact, the Monroys came in contact with someone who was COVID positive, even though all of them were vaccinated. They were COVID positive, so we made a decision to go, hey, take the week off. This is Saturday at like 3 o'clock. And so we're like, who's going to lead worship? I don't know, but our values say you should not be here on Sunday, tomorrow. So called up Eric and like, hey, what are you doing in like 15 hours? <laughs> so Eric led worship. So thankful. God send. I think of the Ordos and Raph and Eric and Matt covering speaking, right? You guys had four weeks of good sermons finally, right? God sends. Set up and tear down team. Getting here early. First ones to get here, last ones to leave. God sends. The productions team, so many people on the productions team that make this happen. They're godsons. I think of like Aiden and Pat and Tiff who drove the trailer. They're godsons. Madison and the kids team taking care of our kids, making sure they come back in one piece. Not only just safe, but they're learning more about God. They're godsons. The Okada, the Kutsubos, setting up the room, making sure we have our connection cards and all that stuff. They're godsends. And there's so many more people that I didn't list, but even if a few of those people weren't there, we wouldn't have been able to rest. And it's the same with you. If you feel like, talk, I can't take a rest because who's going to get all the stuff done? There are people around you that want you to rest. And the more you're living in chaos and complexity, the more people around you, I guarantee it, want to do whatever needs to be done so that you can rest and be healthy. Because they don't want you to end the game early. They want to support you. And we as a church are here for you too, in whatever way that we can. So recognize the good, recognize the God sends, and then recognize God. Recognize God. Worship me if you want to come up. We're going to close. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget all the good things he does for me. Recognize God. You know, when we, have, we like to have people over to the house, and, and we'll have like a, the, kid, the older kids will play Mario Kart on the Switch. And sometimes we'll have like younger kids that um, want to play Mario Kart, but they'll just run into the walls the whole time. You know what I mean? And it's kind of a, a drag when they're like, Okay, I guess you can. So we'll give them a controller, like an extra controller that's not even connected to the Switch, and go, oh, no, you're the top right screen. But they're not, right? So, but they think they're playing, so they're content. And sometimes they're even cocky about it, like, oh, geez, I got first place. No, you, no, you didn't. We didn't. Oh, don't actually say that. But in our heads, we're like, you have nothing to be cocky about, bro. You actually didn't do anything for this whole thing. The reason why I bring that up is every Sabbath, for me, I have to repent. Because I've tried to be in control. I'm a control freak. I have to be in control. And it's caused stress and anxiety and insecurity and disappointment, depending on how that week went. And every Sabbath I have to remember, I wasn't really in control. I just had an extra controller that wasn't, I don't even know if it was connected. So much of my anxiety, so much of my imposter syndrome is because we think that we are controlling more than we actually control. is you thinking that you're better or worse than you actually are. And Sabbath is a time for us to recognize that our posture isn't, God bless what I do. Our posture is more, God, what are you doing and what do you want me to do? And then it's blessed. 
Three questions with this last stage that we're gonna talk about today are first, what are 10 ways God has blessed you? What are 10 ways? I feel like there's something about 10 that if it's like three, you can pop them off pretty quickly. You start to get to four or five, you're like, uh, I said my family, I said my job, I said my house. You start to get more creative. And a lot of times when you get to 10, you wanna do more because you're starting to build a habit. You're starting to tune your eyes. Things are starting to come into focus, right? So what are 10 ways God has blessed you? Two, who are three godsends in your life? Who are three godsends in your life? And follow-up question, how can you show them your appreciation? My guess is they have no clue. They don't know how much they mean to you. So write a card, send a text, right? Send them a $5 Starbucks gift card something just to say thank you you're a godsend and three what are you trying to control that is out of your control what are you trying to control that is out of your control my guess is that's a that's a major point of anxiety in your life you're simply trying to control things that you cannot control control what you can and try not to control what you can't control right next week we're going to talk about realignment and re-engaging because you have to ramp out of Sabbath or sabbatical and actually do the work, right? So we'll talk about that next week. But we're gonna end actually by taking communion, right? So you should have gotten a little uh, challenging to open communion cup package thing, right? So um, we're gonna end with communion. And the whole idea is we take communion once, once a month. And this whole thing with, with Sabbath and sabbaticals is about trust. Trust that God will continue to work if I stop. Trust that everything won't fall apart if I pause. Trust that God will be with me as I wrestle through in the silent moments of Sabbath, some of my fears and insecurities and hurt, my regrets, things people have done to me that I need to process, that God will be with me in the middle of all that. And that's what communion is. Communion reminds us that we can trust that God's going to go all the way with us, that God's going to go the distance with us, right? He's not going to lead you halfway and then ditch you. He's willing to go the distance. So if it's not too uncomfortable, you stand to your feet. Um, communion, if you've never taken communion before, uh, the, the wafer uh, is symbolic of, of Jesus' body broken for us, and the juice is symbolic of his blood spilt for us. And when you're ready, during this last song, when you're ready, Go and take those elements and have a moment between you and God, thanking him and asking him to help you to trust him more. All right, let me pray for us and we'll sing the song together. God, I just, uh, God, thank you. I thank you for an amazing church family. God, I thank you that you call us to make a difference in the world, but you, cause us, you call us to rest, to stop, to evaluate, to reflect. God, I pray that we would be deep people not just people that get a bunch of stuff done that doesn't matter. But God, I pray that we'd have times of resetting our soul, making sure that what we're pursuing is actually worth pursuing, making sure that we're on the path that you want us to be on. And God, when we take our last breath, whenever that is, I pray that we can look back at a life well-lived, a life that we used our time and our resources and our talents to make a difference in this world, not just accumulation of stuff. We give it to you. In Jesus' name.